Jacob, the Old Testament patriarchs. Genesis 31, today we're going to be in verses 1 through 21. Now there's nothing like coming home. Coming home to a place of familiarity, a place of comfort. For those who have moved away, perhaps coming back to your hometown feels like coming home. After moving out of your parents' home, maybe going back to mom and dad's feels like home. Felt like home so much to me, I moved out, moved back in, moved out, moved back in before I moved out for good. Did three tours of duty. It feels like home, even now, going back to my parents. Maybe for some, maybe for some it's this church. Maybe this church feels like home. Maybe this is where you grew up, or maybe this is where you used to worship. Maybe you haven't been back in a while. Maybe you've moved away and in for the holiday. Or maybe you would have the opportunity to come more often, but for whatever reason, you haven't. Coming back home again. The old saying is, home is where the heart is. And as human beings, for us, home should be, home should be where God is. Because we were created for Him. We were created to have a relationship with God. We were created to be close with the God of all creation. But sin has got in the way. Home is where God is. And I ask you this morning, is your heart there? Is your heart this morning where God is? You see, as we've been looking at the life of Jacob in, in the Old Testament here, his heart was not where God was. His heart was somewhere else. He was chasing all kinds of ambitions. He was, he was seeking after his own will to be done. But God began to work on Jacob. Maybe today your heart is not where it needs to be. So I encourage you today as we see Jacob in this story doing, to take the necessary steps to get back where God wants you to be. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The very first step is just that today, surrendering to Christ Jesus. Maybe you have made a profession of faith many years ago, but you have not been walking in that manner as of late Whatever the case may be, if your heart is not where it needs to be, take the necessary steps to get back where God wants you to be today. Let me invite you to stand with me if you're able to this morning. We do this out of reverence for the reading of God's holy word. Genesis chapter 31, starting at verse 1. These words were written by Moses under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what belonged to our father, and he has made all this wealth. Jacob saw the attitude of Laban, and behold, it was not friendly toward him as formerly. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. Would you join me in prayer? God, we come before you at this time in Jesus' name, rejoicing, rejoicing in who you are as our creator and as our provider, as our redeemer. 
God, we thank You that even though we all have sinned and fall short of Your glory, even though we have all strayed away from You, You still love us. And You provided the remedy through the death of Jesus on the cross and through His resurrection, You have provided the way for us to come home. Maybe somebody here today has never accepted Christ. Today they need to come home to You. Maybe someone has made that profession of faith and they have wandered away. Today is the day they need to come home to You. God, we thank You. You have provided the way. Father, give us the burden, give us the conviction that, that drives us back to Your loving arms. Father, thank You for this Word and Scripture. I pray it speaks clearly to our minds and to our hearts and to our wills today. And that Jesus, Your Son, would be glorified through the preaching of Your Word. Father, we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we read in the book of Genesis, we see that God reached out to a man named Abraham. And God said, I am going to enter into an agreement with you, a covenant that cannot be broken. And God said to Abraham, I want you to go to this land that I will show you, and I will make you a mighty nation. I will, I will make your descendants numerous. I will give you all of the possessions you need. And through you, all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed. That covenant agreement that God made with Abraham ultimately found its fulfillment in the birth of Abraham's descendant, Jesus of Nazareth. We find ourselves here in the book of Genesis right after Abraham's covenant with God God spoke to Abraham's son, Isaac, and then now Isaac's son, Jacob. So we're looking at Abraham's grandson here, Jacob. He was the heir of God's covenant promises. But we see Jacob's life took many twists and turns. Many mistakes that he made himself. Deceiving his father and tricking his older brother running from them, and now living for a period of 20 years back with his ancestors in their land. But now we see something stirring in Jacob in his heart, something that's leading him to go home again. We looked at that last week in chapter 30, verse 25. It came about when Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to his uncle Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own place and to my own country. God was moving in that man's life. And he knew he needed to go home again. Maybe the same is true for you today. How do you do that? How do you go home again? Well, first of all, it begins with a discontentment. A discontentment. Jacob was unhappy with his current situation. Is that you? Is there something in your life, something unfulfilling, something troubling, something missing? There's got to be more to life than this. A discontentment. For Jacob, it came through, first of all, the problems of the world. In verses 1 and 2, we read that a while ago, we see some relational conflict between Jacob and his uncle Laban. Now, Jacob was a first-class schemer. 
We've seen that already. But we've also seen his uncle was perhaps even more so, Laban. And he had tricked Jacob into serving him for 14 years. And as a result, Jacob made a lot of wealth for his uncle. Jacob said, I want to go back home and I need to take care of my own family. And he made an agreement with his uncle. We saw that last week where he said, I will serve you and I will, I will raise your flocks. But here's what we're going to do. He said, Uncle, you can have all the white sheep. You can have all the dark goats. I will take all of the off-colored ones, all of the, the, the speckled ones, the striped ones. I'll take all those, even though they were, were fewer in number. He said, I will take those and, and raise those for my own. And at the end of the story there in verse 43, the man became exceedingly prosperous. Jacob, by God's providence, had become very wealthy, whereas his uncle's flocks became fewer in number and fewer in strength. So then we see this relational conflict that pops up. It says, Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's. All that belonged to our father, he's made his wealth. So they were standing in line to inherit everything that belonged to their daddy. But now through Jacob's work and Jacob's scheming, and from their perspective, Jacob's trickery, their father's wealth had decreased and Jacob's wealth had increased. They weren't too excited about that. And then in verse 2, Jacob saw the attitude of his uncle Laban. Behold, it was not friendly toward him as formerly. <laughs> I think it's kind of an understatement. Like Laban looked out over the situation and saw, wait a minute, I used to have all these flocks and herds and now they've all shrunk. My nephew over there, his are growing Something's not right with this picture. And sometimes, when we are going through conflict or difficulties in life, sometimes God is calling us to persevere and, and, and just grow through that situation. Sometimes God uses conflict. Sometimes God uses pain and struggles in our lives to grow our faith. Sometimes God uses discontentment in our lives to move us elsewhere. That's what's going on here with Jacob. He needed to determine, what does God want from me? Is it time for a change? Well, God answers that next in verse 3 through the promise of the Word. The promise of the Word. God reveals His will for Jacob. And it is this, verse 3, The Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives. I want change in your life. My will for you is to get back where you need to be. You're not happy where you're at now because I am using that discontentment to drive you elsewhere, to drive you where I want you to be. I promised you the land of Canaan. Twenty years later, you're still here in a foreign land. And if all had gone well in Jacob's life, if everything was all a bed of roses, Jacob probably would have put roots down in that foreign country and never had gone back. But God was causing and allowing this conflict to grab Jacob's attention and to shake him to his very soul and say, Son, return. Enough is enough. 
come home. And he says this in this promise. He says, return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. It's going to be hard to pick up and move on. It's going to be hard to drop what you're doing now and get back where you need to be. It's going to be hard to make that change. But Jacob, I'm going to be there with you every step of the way. You're not happy with that situation. You need to go home. And if you do that, if you will just trust me, I will be with you. If you will turn and go the opposite direction, and if you trust me in doing that, I promise you, I will be with you. Reminds me of the promise of the gospel where Jesus says, Repent and believe. Turn from your sin. Stop going the way you're going now. And do the U-turn. Repent. Return. Turn away from sin and trust in Christ and move towards Him by faith. And if you do that, the promise of God is you will be saved and His Spirit will dwell in and with you. But you've got to make that change. You've got to let that discontentment drive you to do something different. Tony Robbins once quoted this, said, Change happens when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. Think about that for a little bit. Sometimes change is hard. And you, you can think about that in your in your dietary life, in your exercise life, your financial life, your relationships, education, jobs, whatever, to make a change is difficult. And the only way change will happen is if the, change, if the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. Where you're at now spiritually, if there is discontentment, you will not change until that discontentment grows so unbearable that you have to say, God, I've got to do something different. And if you turn towards God, His promise is, I will be with you. I will be with you. It begins with a discontentment. It beckons a discussion. A discussion. Sensing a radical life change, we find Jacob seeking counsel... And that's a thing that would be wise for you perhaps to do. If you are sensing that where you are at is not where God wants you to be, beckons a discussion. First of all, with your loved ones. Chapter 31 here, verse 4. Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to his flock in the field. Now these are his two wives. He only wanted one. God's design is one man, one woman. But through his uncle's trickery and, and perhaps his own lack of conviction, he ends up with two. But notice it mentions Rachel first, even though she was the youngest. She was the one that he loved more. He sent and he called them to the field to have this discussion. Why in the middle of the field? First of all, because there are ears everywhere. He didn't know if Laban's sons were around. didn't know if his own kids were around. And sometimes when you have to have deep conversations, it's best not to have children's ears around, isn't it? And there they are in the middle of the field, but also in the middle of the field, in the field surrounded by the flock because that was the source of the conflict. All these sheep and all these goats. That's why Laban and his sons were upset with, with Jacob. 
So they are standing there and he says, You know, I've served your father with all my strength, and yet he has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. In a matter of the six years he'd been serving him since he got married to Rachel, it's ten times. Your, your father has shysted me. You, know, you think you've got problems with your in-laws? <laughs> has your in-laws changed your wages ten times in the last six years? Not ten times for the better. Jacob had some serious issues here with his father-in-law, his uncle. He says, But God did not allow him to hurt me. If he said, The speckled shall be your wages, and all the flock brought forth speckled. If he spoke and said, The stripe shall be your wages, and all the flock brought forth stripe. Thus God has taken away your father's livestock and given them to me. Finally, Jacob recognizes and states, It wasn't my bright idea and my skills that brought all these flocks to me. It was God. It was God keeping his promise to me. And then in verses 14 through 16, Rachel and Leah said to him, Do we still have any portion or inheritance in our father's house? Are we not reckoned by him as foreigners? For he has sold us as also entirely consumed our purchase price. So, your dad basically shoved us out the door and spent all of our inheritance. We have nothing left here. Surely all the wealth which God has taken away from our father belongs to us and our children. Now then, do whatever God has said to you. So in this we see, first of all, Laban's disfavor with Jacob. His disfavor. Jacob says, your father doesn't like me anymore, but the God of my father is taking care of me. We see this, my father, your father. My father, your father. That's a theme that goes throughout this entire section. Laban's sons were upset. Our father's inheritance is gone. God tells Jacob, go back to the land of your father's. It's either the father who is God, or as Jesus said in John chapter 8, your father, the devil, either got one of two daddies, spiritually. So we see Laban's disfavor, but also Laban's dishonesty, and he cheated Jacob ten times, just in this story. And then Laban's disregard. Disregarded his own daughters, to the point where they were ready to go. They were ready to jump ship. We have nothing left here in this house. We're going to go with you. Because Jacob was asking them to choose sides. Are you with me or are you with him? Are you in or are you out? Are you staying or are you coming? They said, we're going with you. But, and it's interesting in this story, this is the first time those two sisters were finally in agreement on anything. They'd been fighting and, and they had been bickering and they'd been competing and then finally they get to the point where they say, you know what? There's nothing left for us here. And they looked at each other and they said, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but she's right. <laughs> We're going to go with you. And it doesn't look like so much their decision was driven by romance or their, their bond and their affection to Jacob. Wherever you go, honey, we're going to go with you. We love you. To death do us part, for better, for worse, for richer or poor. Their, their, their decision wasn't really based on romance, but more 
prudence. We stay here. We got nothing. You got all the sheep. <laughs> you got all the flocks. You got all the inheritance. What what you have is what belongs to us. We're, we're staying with you, honey. <laughs> Laban's disregard. But their answer, do whatever God has said to you. Boy, that's good counsel. Somebody tells you, do whatever God tells you to do. That's good counsel. So it beckons a discussion to bring about this change, talking with loved ones. Is this, is this what I need to do? I need to, I need to do something else. I need to get back to God. How do I do that? How do I go home again? Do whatever God tells you to do. But it also that discussion needs to be with your Lord. With your Lord. The most important step in all of this is to please Him. What does God want from me? Where do I need to be to please God? What is God's will for me? Jacob, in trying to determine that, has the, the benefit of God speaking to him via a dream. Again, God has showed up to speak to Jacob in a dream in verse 10 through 13. It came about in the time when the flock were mating. I lifted my eyes and I saw in a dream, behold, the male goats were mating. And they were striped, speckled, and mottled. And the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. When God speaks to you, that's how you answer. Here I am. Here I am. He said, Lift up now your eyes and see all the male goats which are mating are striped, speckled, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. God sees. When you're being wronged, God sees. When it doesn't seem like life is fair, Others not treating you right. God sees. God knows. He says, I am the God of Bethel where you anointed a pillar, where you made a vow to me. Now arise, leave this land, and return to the land of your birth. God's telling him again, get up and go. That's my will for you. God speaks. He speaks to us today. Sometimes he could use dreams, but God speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit, through Christian counsel coming and speaking to other Christians and, and, and figuring out, you know, what should I do? What, what steps do I take? I don't know where to go, where to turn to. I need advice. I need help. God speaks through Christian counsel. But most importantly and most clearly, God speaks through the Scripture, the Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God. When you need direction in your life, you turn to this book. And if you find yourself doing something this book says you shouldn't do, that's not God's will. If you find yourself doing something that this book supports, that's the will of God. You need to speak with your Lord, a discussion, radical change, going back where you, be, where, where you belong. I remember when I was wrestling with this call to ministry some 17 years now. <clears throat> Figuring out, God, are you calling me to preach? Why me? Why me? And I remember having those discussions with people that I knew and people that I loved and respected. I was attending and a member at Central Baptist at the time. I'm, and, and, and Art Beasley came as a brand new pastor there. And, and my first conversation with that man was this. I feel like I may be called to preach. What do I do? And his counsel was, Matthew 25, be faithful in the small things. 
God will entrust you with greater. And never will forget that. I remember talking to uh, Dennis Wainwright. Tony Cecil was there as a youth pastor at the time. And just getting their, their counsel. Because you see, there was, that wasn't the only life change that was coming down the pike. I was thinking about popping the question. And just asking them for some wisdom and some counsel. You know, what, how do I determine God's will? It's good to speak with loved ones, but more importantly, you speak to God. I remember all the prayers praying over and over again, just pouring out my heart, God, I'm not going to do this if it's not your will. I don't want to make this huge mistake if it's not your will. I remember driving from Lexington to Winchester to pick Nancy up. She was working at the movie theater and I was living in Lexington. And the whole way home on Todd's Road, I just prayed and talked out loud to God. Only if you've ever done that before, I highly encourage you to do that. People might look at you funny as you're driving and just, just talking away. You don't have to bow your head and keep your eyes closed either. I highly discourage that. But just talking out loud, God, if this is what you want, I'm going to do it. I can't do this without you. God, I need to get back home to you. I need to get into your will. Whatever i got to do, whatever kind of changes I need to make, God, if I need to sever relationships, give me the strength to sever those, God. If I need to form and forge new relationships, God, help me do that. All of the changes I need to make, Lord, help me. Going back home again, it begins with a discontentment and it beckons a discussion. A discussion with loved ones. A discussion with your Lord. Finally, it becomes a discipline. Going back where you belong, it becomes a discipline. It takes an initial step. You've got to get up and you've got to take that step. But then that's followed by a difficult journey. And you need to determine, is that journey worth it or not? For Jacob, we see the first thing here is the spiritual response. God told him in verse 13, Now arise, leave this land. Verse 17, Then Jacob arose. God said, Get up and move. Jacob got up and he moved. Something about obedience. Something about the necessity of doing what God clearly tells you to do. And here it says in verse 17, he put his children and his wives upon camels and he drove away all his livestock, all his property which he had gathered, his acquired livestock which he had gathered in Padam Aram to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. It was, he was all in at this point. Kids, wives, flocks, possessions, gone. Let's move God doesn't want us here anymore. We're all in. We're all in. That sacrifice, that risk, God wanted him to move and he was gone. Jacob was doing that not only because of the discontentment that he felt, but because God had made a promise to him, I'll be with you. God told him over and over again, I'm going to be with you. And so Jacob takes that initial faith step says, God, I trust that you're going to be with me. And Jacob moves. If you've got holy discontentment in your life, that's the first thing you need to do. You need to move. God says, arise, get up, and come, and come back home. You take that step. You don't put it off and wallow in that discontentment. You get up, and you obey God, and you return, and you move. You don't stay put. 
The spiritual response. Then we see the spiritual residue. In verses 19 through 20, Jacob takes that initial step, and his, and his wives, they take that initial step. But there's still some work that needs to be done. We call that sanctification. The process where God begins to work in your life, and He continues to shape you, and to mold you, and to chisel you. He's crafting a work of art out of a useless lump of clay. That's how we start out. But the potter has something beautiful in mind, and he's shaping, he is forming you. You're a work in progress. Ain't none of you arrived there yet. Paul never arrived there, he said, until he came to glory. And None of us are where we need to be exactly. God is always improving us spiritually. That spiritual residue, we're a work in progress, but we need life change, but life change doesn't come easy. Why? Yesterday I was working out in the yard a little bit, pulling some weeds out of flower beds, and saw a little dandelion, you know, probably an inch or two tall. And so, you know, if you don't pull the roots out, you just pull the weed, the, the roots are still there, they're going to pop right back up. So I was like, I've got to get these roots out. And by the time I finally got that dandelion pulled out, so the roots was probably about six or eight inches long, and the weed above the ground was an inch or two. <laughs> Life change does not come easy because we need heart change, and that is much deeper than the surface. If you think, well, I just need to be a better person, I just need to quit doing bad stuff and start doing good stuff. That sounds great, and you might make strides in that direction, but if there is not removal of, of the sin in your heart, if the root is still there, guess what's going to happen? It's going to crop back up. You need God to dig down deep in your heart and remove the roots of that sin problem that you have. You can't change yourself. Only God can do that. God is ready and waiting and willing to remove the weeds from your hearts. Jacob and, and, and Rachel had some spiritual residue, some, some dirtiness that needed to be cleaned out. First of all, religious failures. Verse 19. When Laban had gone to shear his flock, he left the house with all of his workers with him. They went out to the outskirts where the flock was and began to shear the sheep. And it was always a big ordeal. It was always a time-consuming thing. It was always ended with a great celebration. And so they left the house. Laban had gone to shear his flock. Rachel came in and she stole the household idols that were her father's. Little statues representing little, little, little trinkets representing God's. Now, it's funny to me because, you know, when you go on trips, you know, good moms always want to make sure everything is packed and ready. And you get your checklist. We need to make sure we got our snacks, make sure we got our, our pillows, make sure we got our blankets, make sure we got the household idols, make sure we got music. You know, wait a minute, what? You know, household idols, what is she doing? What? Why did she go in and steal these little idols? Could be she was trying to get back at her dad. Maybe these things were valuable. She said, he squandered all of our money. I'm going to take what belongs to me. I'm going to steal those. Maybe it was a symbolic action. 
Some have said the, the owner of the idols owned the property, and, and whenever he dies, whoever owns the idols owns his possessions. Maybe it was an inheritance thing. Maybe it was just her clinging to her religious past, clinging to what she knew and what she was comfortable with, not completely making a break and severing from the old ways, the old ways of thinking about God, the old ways of thinking about herself, the old ways of thinking about sin, repentance. We have that danger sometimes when we try to move towards God. There are, there are things that we want to grab and bring with us that ought not to come with us, things that we ought to leave behind. Got no business coming on that trip with us, but yet I'm going to take the time and pack them. I love these things too much to leave them behind. You know, I want to go to God, but I want this other things. Whether it's relationships, or, or, or idols or things we worship, possessions. We want to bring stuff with us that ought to be left behind. Religious failures. It's ironic that while Laban was shearing his, fleet, shearing his flock, he got fleeced by his own daughter. Religious failures, relational failures. In verse 20, Jacob, he deceived Laban by not telling him that he was fleeing. Old habits die hard. Here's Jacob the deceiver once again deceiving. He deceived his uncle. Literally, it says he stole the heart. He stole the heart of his uncle. His wife stole the household idols and he steals the heart. He stole away. He takes all of his wives and his, grand, and his children, which were Laban's daughters and grandkids, takes them all and just bolts. Laban's out there shearing the sheep and he bolts. Deceives him. We've got spiritual residue that needs to be cleaned up. It's like when you're cleaning the mirror and you spray the stuff on it and you wipe it off and then you've got streaks and things. The residue need not be there. Finally, it becomes a discipline. We have spiritual response and the spiritual residue, but then the spiritual resolve, verse 21, so he fled with all that he had and he arose and he crossed the Euphrates River. It's the point of no return. He's headed south, headed back towards Canaan, headed back towards the promised land. I am bound for the promised land. Oh, who will come and go with me? That's what Jacob was saying, and his wives, his children, they were going with him. And notice this phrase here. He set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. There was no looking back. The spiritual resolve. This is what God wants from me. By golly, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going, to, I'm, I'm going to be all in. We're all going to get up. We're going to cross the Euphrates River and we're, I'm going to set my face where it needs to be. And nothing is going to derail me or get me off track. We refer to this as perseverance. It's one of the primary evidences that we have that we are truly saved. Once we start that faith journey and once we begin walking towards home and walking back towards God, perseverance. We might stray off track a little bit here and there, but we always keep our face set where it needs to be. That resolve. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. I don't care how hard it is. I don't care how far it is. I don't care how difficult the journey is. I don't care how many rivers I've got to cross. I'm setting my face towards God and I'm going home. 
You can come with me if you want, and I hope you do. But if you don't, I don't care. I'm going home. I'm going back to where I need to be. So do like Jacob did. Take the necessary steps to get back where God wants you to be. Since at the beginning, maybe, maybe you made a faith commitment a long time ago and you wavered. Maybe you need to rededicate your life today. Maybe you need to set your face back towards home. Maybe you've never made that commitment. Maybe you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you hear all this talk about the cross and the tomb being empty and this promise of God that He would be with you and this glorious place called heaven. And you hear that and your heart is, is intrigued and your mind is intrigued. Make that initial step today. Maybe you're saying, well, preacher, you don't know me. You don't know what I've done. Maybe you're right. But I know what I've done. God knows what I've done. I fell upon His mercy and I found forgiveness. And I found purpose. And I found a new meaning to life. And I found joy. Even in the midst of sorrow, I find joy. Because there is one greater than me. There is one who has something that I have no idea what's in store for me, but I know from His Word the promise is it is something good and He will be with me. I don't know what you've done, but I know what I've done and I know what I've found and I know what you can find too. Read the story in Luke 15. The prodigal son told his daddy, give me all your money, give me my inheritance. Basically saying, I wish you were dead already. His father gives him his share of inheritance. He goes out and he squanders it on sinful living. Comes to his senses and says, I've got to go home again. What am I doing? I'll come back home and I'll, I'll beg Dad forgiveness and, and, I'll, and I'll be one of his servants. I'll, I'll be a slave to Daddy so that way I'll have a place to live and food to eat. And as he was coming home, it said the father saw him from a distance. You know what his father did? He ran. He ran hiked up his robe, which was shameful for a man to do in that culture, hiked up his robe, and he ran to his son, fell upon him, embraced him, and said, Son, I love you. Welcome home again. He said, Dad, I'll serve you. And his dad says, No, you are my son. Welcome home again. And they threw a huge celebration. That can happen for you today. You are discontented where you're at right now. And you think you've sinned too much for God to ever forgive you. And there's no way a person like me could ever be saved. That's Satan telling you that. God says, come home. Repent. Return. Come home. I will be with you. Come home. Come home. And the only person that's going to stop that is you. And your stubborn heart, your refusal to take that initiatory step... And you say, I don't know where God's going to lead me. I, nobody knows, but take that step. Come to Christ. See, Jesus died on the cross to atone for your sins. All of your sins. And He rose again that Easter Sunday. He rose again victorious, signifying payment in full that God was satisfied. The death of Jesus is enough for your sins. Come home. 
A refusal to come home is disobedience. That's sin. It results in judgment, condemnation, a place the Bible calls hell. You need not go there. Come home. Get back where God wants you to be. It begins with discontentment. It beckons a discussion. It becomes a discipline. Set your face towards God and get where you need to get. And by faith, trust that God will be with you every step of the way. Easter is a great time for a fresh start. Join the joy-filled journey with Jesus. It's a journey. And every journey has an ultimate destination. Every journey starts with a step. Take that joy-filled journey with Jesus. It's not about being a better person. It's about being a saved person. Get back where you need to be. Let's pray together.